This is chapter nine, high class. Let's start it. Okay. Um, in chapter nine, we will be talking about is basically we'll be talking about. I'll just give me a second. the material requirement planning. So you see, if you have a product and you're trying to produce something, there is a material you require to build it. Now, how are we gonna do the planning? How is this planning is happening in the material required planning? So, uh, in the material required planning, what are we gonna learn? We're gonna learn how to explain what a material required planning or MRP. Uh, understand how the MRP world system is structured, analyze an MRP problem and evaluate and compare an MRP uh, lot sizing techniques. And you know, MRP usually connected to the ERP enterprise resource planning and how these things happen working together. So an enterprise resource planning is a different than MRP or material resource planning. And it, enterprise resource planning is a, uh, is a computer system that integrate application program in the accounting, sales, manufacturing, and other functions of firms. So you would, what do you have here in the ERP system you have what you call the sales, the production, quality, they look at material, they look at maintenance when the maintenance happening. And part of this ERP, it comes the MRP, the material resource planning. So it has to be, this is, can be standalone or can be integrated, which is the best case scenario has to be integrated. Now, in enterprise resource planning, what do we have usually? Um, typically, the operation and supply chain functions, such as sales and distribution, or SD product or services added and sold to the customer. You have an application called the product, production planning, which is support the both discrete and process, manufacturing process, and include the material requirement planning, which is the MRP application. We'll talk more detail about it. And part of the ERP, usually the quality management, uh, the material management, and the plant management and planning, which is, it's about support and activity associated uh, planning and performing repairs, you know, and maintenance. So these are made of small, uh, uh, could be one e full ERP solution and has sub-modules, or you can have different application integrated with each other running on certain database. Now in the MRP, the logic that 
ties production function together from a material planning and control view. So I'm, I'm, I'm planning to produce something. This product is made of hundreds of small pieces that integrated with each other. And these hundred small pieces could be, some of them similar, could be some of them different. And these are should be taken into account and uh, all the whether is uh, from the supply side, warehousing, assembly, which process is happening, what is this missing? This all things has to be smooth and transparent to the whole management. So an application should perform that. And from a control point of view is where is this production having a bottleneck or costing so much or stopping or slowing down, something like that. So all these things, it can be performed by a good sophisticated MRP. Um, a logical, easily understood approach to the problem of the managing the part component and material needed to produce end of item. This is what we trying to, what we said. So it's a logical approach. It tells you to produce a, an A amount. It's made of tons of different small things that has to be integrated or melted or connected to each other. So we need to know how much we of each part to obtain and when to order or produce these parts. And this is what it's important in MRP solution. So depend, as all this is depend on demand drives the MRP. So MRP cannot work standalone. There is some demand uh, which is done by certain other application connected or individual, and they put this information in the MRP. Some of the places where the MRP is important, like, uh, you know, assembly to high stock to stock is high. The benefit of MRP very high. Make to stock, you make a stocks, you know, not ready to sales. Uh, it's just there as a low. Um, engineering to order, this is very high. You, you just look at this sample, which is, I'm gonna post it for you to see which, why we need in some cases uh, MRP and how, you know, how we benefit from it. Now in the MRP scheduling, we have something called to drive this MRP, we have something called MPS or master production schedule. So in the master production schedule, you don't put all the details of producing a product. You just put what is needed, a hundred unit of end product is need to be finished for the customer at a certain time. So the master schedule planning or the master production planning, uh, uh, sort of MPS, which is master production schedule, deals with the end item, finished good, item sold to the customer. The major input to the, which is the major input to the MRP. All production system have a limited capacity and limited resources. So you. You cannot ask a manufacturer who can produce 
maximum 100 unit as them to produce 150. If you don't have enough warehouse products, you cannot expect the company to produce up to the maximum capacity. So these are the things that you need to take consideration when you doing your, um, when you uh, setting up your MRP. The aggregate plan provide a general range of operation. The master schedule must be specified exactly what to produce. So they will tell you, I need a hundred unit at this time to be delivered in this places with this probably quality, this can, all the specification. And this goes to the MRP and MRP start logically uh, dismantling the order to a small pieces and do the process for it. So, um, so basically to determine an acceptable feasible schedule to release, to be released, to shop, trial master production schedule and or tested of MRP programs. You test them first and then you run them. Now there is a master production schedule, which is we talked about it and it's about uh, the master production schedule, which is a, the human being could be also known as a, a, a planner, uh, MAP controller, we saw it in the video, must maintain the master scheduling. So there is a master scheduling. It include all the demand for a product sales that can be sell or selling or sold, warehouse replenishment, spare and uh, interplant requirement. Uh, it never lose sight of the aggregate plan. So if you have 10 units uh, before the scheduling and uh, the MPS is asking for a hundred, you, you already have 10 units. So to produce, you need to produce 90 units. So it's not losing uh, the, the site for aggregate plan. So you already have a 10, you need uh, another 190 to produce 100. And be involved with the customer order promising. It looks at the timing, what time supposed to be delivered on, on, and accordingly. Be visible to all layers of management. So the management see where is the production? What's the process of production? And when this is happening? Um, the objective uh, manager conflict between the manufacturing, marketing, and engineering. There is always some might have something between marketing, sales, manufacturing, and engineering. Some kind of a, a disagreement when to produce it, what quality to produce it. Um, uh, whether the salesperson can promise the, the customers. These are things that it need to make the manager easy to manage these conflicts and identify and communicate all the problems. So they, it's clear for them or for the manager, what is the problem so they can fix it right away. So what do we have something else of course available to promise is identify the difference between number of units currently included in the master schedule and the actual customer order. So we spoke about like you having 10 units in the house, warehouse, 
ready to be shipped and another 90 units is waiting. So you can promise the due date and timing that you can ship them for them because you already have the schedule when these 90 extra 90 units will be produced. Stock currently held in the inventory may be assigned to a customer order allocated or may be available for a future customer order available promise. So you say you have a 10 units and some customer comes and have wants seven units, you tell them, okay, so you can promise these seven to the customer. So if there is another customer that comes in and asks you for a hundred units, it, the system will tell you that the only available three units because you already promised the seven, seven of them and you need to produce another 97 units and the MRP will be scheduling that for, for, for you how long it takes. So you can promise them to do, deliver that. So communicating current available to promise quantity can be powerful tool for coordinating the activities of sales and marketing and production. Now, we don't need to look at this part. We just need to know that the MRV portion of manufacturing activity close interact with the master schedule bill of materials, what it's needed as a part of it, inventories that we have in the warehouse on the record of it, and the output reports, how many being produced, when it's gonna be produced, the rest. Now, um, the demand for a product sources, knowing customer uh, place specific order generated by you know, personal, sales personnel, some, somebody sales will be promising a customer that many quantity will be delivered for you at that time. And it's coming from interdependent department transactions. So we can see the process, how long it takes to produce these and we'll promise the, uh, the customer on that. Aggregate production plan, the firm strategy for meeting the demand in the future implemented through the master production plan. So when the salespeople in marketing, especially the marketing will uh, forecast the demand, MPS will help to enter and you enter to MPS and the MPS will give the order to MRP and the MRP will give you the results saying how uh, when we're going to be have these amounts ready, subtracting what we have in the warehouse. It's the more it's more complex, the more the products verify different product, it becomes more complicated and you need a system to track these things. So part of the production is that you need to clear the bill of material. Bill of material say, if I'm making one product, say a bike, for example, the bike made of plastic tires, made of the wood or iron, made of the brakes, made of the, these are all things that it's called bill of material. So bill of material is the, a file contains the complete product description listing the material parts and components along with the sequence in which the product is created. Often called the product structure file sometimes or a product tree because it shows how to produce these things. So these are 
what you call bill of material, how these things. So there is a different, in each stage, there is a different bill of materials because for example, for the customer, when you give him, you give him 90 units, these are bill of material for the customer. But to, to produce this 19 unit at one stage earlier, this 90 units is made of uh, each one, each unit made of 10 parts. These are a bill material for producing the 19 units. And then each one, and it's, it's like a tree and a breakdown. We will see it in the next stage, how these things work. For example, the bill of material to produce a point uh, product called A. We know uh, by the engineering, a product A is made of two subunits. And each subunit is made of subunit B and subunit C. Now to produce the subunit A, we need two, two units of B and we need two, three units of C. Now to produce the three, uh, the three units of C, each unit will need two units of F, five units of G and H. See how complicated it gets. So you need a system to calculate all these bill of materials. So in order for you to produce A, you have a B, two units of B and three units of C. Now to produce B, two units of B, you need uh, each unit need one unit of D and four units of, four, uh, of E. So it is gets more complicated and you cannot do it manually break down. So you need a bill of material. And here, what's the bill of material? Let's say if the customer is on the top of A, the bill of material for the customer is A. But if you are the sales, uh, you are in charge of uh, for the producing a, a, your bill of material would be B, two units of B and three units of C. So each state has a separated bill of material and then you have a full bill of materials for, for them, it's called BOM. Now, when we talk inventory record, the MRP program access the status segment of the record according to a specific time period. So at this time they have that much unit, but in uh, two months down the road, they will have less unit if there is no refurbish, uh, more comes in the warehouse. So it access the units available in the stock house and warehouse accordingly, when, how much they had and how much is coming. So it's performed analysis from the top of the product structure downward. Do we have these two C's and two four D's? Do we have two L's and two five M's? And all? so it does this process. So, and then allows a creation of page of record to see whether is these available or need to be ordered. So we're not gonna get into a troubles. Now MRP record is the data record and should contain the total requirement, the gross requirement, and the schedule receipts, when things is supposed to produce, how long it takes, when it's gonna to be to the next stage and next stage when it's gonna to go to the third stage. Projected available balance, whether we need more or we have enough or we have over 
so we don't need to get our machine keep producing because already we have a lot. So these are the projected available balance. The net requirement, what's required to produce these points, these uh, units, and the plan ordered, received, and release. So when I'm getting a receipt generated, that's uh, the plan order, I'm getting ordered. So this gets be generated. And then when I'm releasing that, is they, they will get this uh, notification. Now, we have another thing here we need to take into consideration is the least total cost method, which is a dynamic lot sizing technique that calculates the order quantity by comparing the carrying cost and setup cost for a various lot size and then select the lot in which these are most nearly equal. In other words, lot size evaluated are designed to cover an increasing amount of time, week one, two weeks, or eight again. In other words, then it means, let's say you, and you notice that, if you go and order 10 products, the whole is $100, so each unit at $10. But the customer, the salesperson says, if you order, 20 product, I will, instead of selling you at $10 each unit, I'll sell you at $15. So you're gonna end up paying $300 for 15 products instead of paying um, $100 for the, so the more you order, the less, the more dis discount you get. Now, you need to do your calculation. Do I need to get these 20 products at one time? Can I sell them in a short time? What if I don't sell them? My money will be stuck in the warehouse. This is the calculation you need to do. Now, when your money is stuck in the warehouse, it means more warehouse you need. That's a lot uh, costing. You need more uh, overhead. You need that your money stuck there. So you need to calculate if it's really this, the discount is giving you will end up in saving you more money or really is gonna cost you because just because he gave you a discount that does not mean uh, you are in a good situation because eventually you have to sell it. I'll give you a better example. Say you have a restaurant and you know daily you consume a hundred sandwich. So you get a hundred buns. Now the salesperson comes in and says, why you don't buy 200 buns at the discounted price? What do you do? There's two options. One option, you first you look at it, how this product's gonna stay alive before it goes bad. Can you sell these amount or are you gonna stuck with it? And when you're stuck with it, when can you sell them? They're not fresh anymore. Are they gonna hurt the customers? The customer will have less enjoying the food because it's not fresh. Or really customer, you can manage it that you can keep that amount in a place where you can save money. So this is the calculation you do. Saving versus, you know, costing that you're not looking at it immediately, which is a warehousing. For example, you need a freezer, maybe a bigger freezer, uh, you know, 
all these things or push harder to sell more, um, you're giving the customer more discount. These are all things takes into calculation and there is apps for that to do the calculation. Now, the least unit cost, uh, least unit cost method is a dynamic lot sizing technique that add orders and inventory carrying costs for each trial lot size and divide them by the number of each unit, as I said, uh, lot sizing. Picking the lot size with the lowest unit cost. So basically what I'm trying to tell you here, well, we, first of all, we're not gonna go deeper than this because there were so many calculation and very confusing. Uh, but basically um, know this, when you, somebody comes in and give you a discount on something, you need to do a background check if you are a reseller or you're a business person who's trying to resell, even as an individual. Does this discount that I'm receiving, it's in return that I have to buy more units. Bottom line, am I saving my money or not? How I'm gonna save money or not? How I'm gonna to not to find out is I need to do other calculation of making such an extra order. Do I need a more warehouse? Do I need more electricity? Do I need somebody to monitor that? Do I need to do more marketing to sell? These are things that you need to calculate in order to know exactly the size, the amount, the units that you need as a supplier to bring in. So I hope you understand what is this. And uh, I'll have a good one.